Okay, and welcome back to Part-Time Football. I'm your host, Ben. Here alongside me is again, Dan and James. How are you guys doing? Doing well, thanks. Uh, happy to do another episode here. Yeah, yeah we are continuing um, we're continuing our <laughs> Premier League preview. Sorry, James, I jumped in front of you. Right. <laughs> um, we are on episode two of looking at the entire Premier League season. So the next five teams are going to be sort of your mid-table clubs. Uh, today we're looking at Everton, Southampton, Newcastle, Crystal Palace and Brighton. So uh, a quite, quite interesting lineup. A couple of teams from there have been underperforming and a few teams from that group have been maybe overperforming. So we should have quite a range of opinions and analysis to break down. Uh, it's it's going to be quite a good one. We'll start with Everton. They had quite a poor season by, well, a bit of an up and down season as most of these five have, have gone through. Uh, Everton have struggled a little bit last year. They finished 12th in the Premier League, which is their worst finish uh, since 2004. So quite a long time since they finished that low. Of course, in 2004, they almost got relegated. They finished 17th, uh, just escaping the drop. But since then, they've been quite a staple, been uh, a mid-table club between your 7th and 10 places. So last year was quite an anomaly for them. Obviously, cycling through uh, three different managers, beginning with Marco Silva, and then had uh, Duncan Ferguson interim, and of course, Carlo Ancelotti. So a lot to unpack from their season uh, last year. James, what did you make of it, their season? was It wasn't a great season for Everton, as you said. They finished 12th, uh, three points behind Southampton in 11th place. They, they, really, they were really poor with Marcus Silva. They were 18th uh, around Christmas time, actually, when Marcus Silva was still there. And then he got the sack. And uh, Duncan Ferguson was interim manager for a bit. And then Ancelotti came in. And I mean, it was, it was obviously going to be hard for him with this not having his own team. But they did a bit better. And Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin were probably their key players of 13 goals each. And we saw a big improvement from Richarlison where under Silva, he was playing out wide. But when Ancelotti came in, he implemented that 4-4-2 system where Richarlison played up top with Cavalluin and he scored a lot more goals. So overall, right. I think Everton had a, a pretty decent decent second half of the season. But overall, it was, it was still a poor season for Everton. Yeah, I mean, like you say, halfway through the year, they were maybe in a relegation fight. They were 18th. And they were really quite struggling. And so, I mean, they kind of had to get rid of Marco Silva. Duncan came in, had a, a kind of a splash in the pan, um, quite a bit of good form. I remember they drew, when he was there, he was there for a few weeks, and they drew 1-1 to United at Old Trafford. And I was there for that game. That was a really frustrating game because we were on pretty decent form at the time. And I think, I think they also beat Chelsea, didn't they? I think they might have beat Chelsea um, when, when yeah. he was there. Yeah, yeah, they beat Chelsea, unfortunately. Yeah, so he, he had a little bit of good fortune. And then he was just the interim manager, of course. He wasn't ever intending there to stay. And they quite surprisingly brought in Carlo Ancelotti. I mean, you wouldn't... I remember being quite shocked when I saw that news. I couldn't believe it. I mean, what did you guys I, make of that? I was shocked as well. He's won a league in four, four of the five leagues. And in the league, he didn't win it, which was in Spain. He won the Champions League of Real Madrid. So he's a very successful, proven manager. So I was, I was shocked that he would come to Everton. I mean, he's won the Champions League three times. Definitely proven himself. Yeah, he's a massive um, signing for Everton, really, if you think about it. What it means for the club, kind of a lot of prestige coming there. Um, I think, as you said, everyone's really surprised that a manager of his calibre would go to a team kind of Everton, a mid-table team, really. Um, so I think it's, it bodes well for the club. The owner is showing good intentions. So he's, he's looking forward, uh, looking ahead for the team. He's trying to boost their status. And having Carlo Ancelotti, such a big name, is going to bring a lot more attention to them. And as we've seen, and we'll touch on those signings, but I think it's huge in bringing big names to the club. Yeah, hot topic question. Which were you more surprised by? Ancelotti to Everton or Mourinho to Spurs? Uh, <laughs> I was pretty shocked by both of them, to be quite honest. I couldn't believe either signings. Yeah, um, I think Ancelotti is a lot more surprising just because of his high calibre. You don't usually see that going to a team No, no, you don't. Ever, you know, Everton aren't bad by any means, but they're not a team to have title-winning managers on there. Mourinho, it, it, it was surprising, but then again, in his last kind of half decade, he has been not his, not his usual self, not his best. Yeah. And, and, and Spurs are still kind of a, a top team. So yeah, I mean, they're, there, a good, not, they're a good side, definitely. Yeah. It's not too surprising, I think. Yeah, I guess I was thinking more in, in lines of um, Mourinho being a serial winner. 
and Spurs sort of being serial losers. I mean, they just can't seem to get silverware. <laughs> not trying to roast them. It's just, you know what I mean? They've been a good side for a long time and they just never seem to, to win finals or, or, you know, so that, that's an interesting signing. But anyway, back, back to Everton. Yeah, I mean, what, so a bit of an up and down season last year. Who, who are some of the key players to look for in the transfer window as well as also looking ahead? Yeah, um, Carlo Ancelotti, big fan of James Rodriguez. I think, I think he signed him all three times when he's been at Madrid, been at Bayern, and now Everton. So him coming in is massive. Signing Allen from, I think, Napoli it was. That's also a massive one coming in. So those are two big names. And he's got, he inherited quite a good squad. It wasn't his own, but on paper, Everton have a good team. Obviously, Richardson and Calvert-Lewin both had fantastic seasons up top, scoring 13 goals each. So having those two kind of lead your line, and he's really... Uh, brought depth to his midfield, which was already quite a deep midfield, underperforming midfield, but on paper, um, I think Ancelotti can bring them to the best and get, get a lot, a lot better out of those guys. What about you, James? I completely agree with what you said. They, their midfield was their weak point last year, and he's brought in James Rodriguez, who's he's he's coached before, who was, was very successful. Sign, he was very successful. He got twenty-eight goals contributions in the La Liga with him and 18 with in the Bundesliga with Bayern with him. He also got Allen, who he reminds me of Fernandinho. He's, he's a, plays aggressive. He wins his 50-50s. He's a great tackler. And I think that's a great signing. It's what Everton need. And yeah, James Rodriguez, they got Ducore from Watford, who I've been a fan, on for, fan of for a few years now. And to add to their team, like Dan said, they've got a solid squad. They, didn't, they haven't performed great this year, but on paper, they have a good squad. And I think with the signings, with the manager... I think they have a, they can push they can push for a top spot this year. When you say top spot, what, what do you mean by that? I meant I sorry I meant top spot for Everton and standards. I meant uh, like a Europa League spot. Yeah, okay. So you you're thinking like sixth, seventh, maybe around maybe, there, maybe, not, yeah. maybe about sixth. That's quite maybe they need something special to break. I into think top six. definitely higher than this previous season. Yeah, I mean I think I think you're right. I mean looking at last year, it, it didn't really work out for them um, for for a number of different reasons and. The team they had, I mean, like you say, they haven't finished 12th in like 15 years, you know, for a long time. And they're perennially, they always seem to be around 7 to 10. That's sort of just outside Europe, European League spots. But yeah, I mean, I think the fans know that last year was a definite underperformance and that the players they have, I think they can, I think the players they have, it wouldn't take much to move them back into the 7 to 10 range, which I think they probably will do that if they sort of like push beyond that and overperform then maybe they, like you say, James, I think they can knock on the door and, and maybe even push for Europa League spots, potentially. I think, yeah, I think Rodriguez is a great signing, not only for what he brings, but also it means probably pushing out Sigurdsson, who was probably one of their best players two years ago, but really hasn't done uh, done anything this past season. has been quite disappointing for their standards. I think he had like two assists and three goals, something to that effect. Yeah, it's, um, it's, the, yeah. it's the role which... Ancelotti demands with his formation because before Sigurdsson would be playing more of a central attacking midfielder but with Ancelotti's 4-4-2 it requires the holding mid to be a bit more versatile so defensively and offensively you have to be capable which Sigurdsson he's great offensively but defensively he can't carry that load so I think that's a big reason why he struggled yeah so Rodriguez would do great in there I mean I really like Dina Digna, uh, I had him. I, mean, I might be biased because I had him on my fantasy team last year, so I was just <laughs> loving, loving watching him. But I, I do yeah, think he's, good... he's probably one of the better uh, two-way fullbacks in the league. I think he's one of the best. I mean, he's not quite there with Robertson mm-hmm. and Arnold and those guys, but he really is one of the top, top fullbacks in the league. Uh, you got Richarlison, you got Calvert Lewin, prob- probably the best player last year. I would say Calvert Lewin. He's definitely up there. So yeah, I think they got definitely got prospects for next year. What do you think, Dan? Uh, looking. Looking ahead for Everton for next season. I'm quite excited for their season, to be honest. Um, they've got a lot of depth. We've touched on the midfield, the new signings, but the players are already there. Andre Goms, Davies, Awobi, obviously Sigurdsson will be dropped, but those guys are all rotating coming in. They've got rid of um, Schneidlin, who's a loss for them, but they're replacing the capable midfielders. Wide players, they've got Awobi, Walcott, Bernard. Richardson can also play there if they decide if Moise Keane kind of steps up to a bigger role. Defensively, um, their three centre backs, Amina, Keane, and Holgate, all played. Well, Keane played over 30, but Holgate and Amina played almost 30 each, which is quite unusual for three centre backs, for, for a two centre back role to have that kind of squad depth. Um, also, Sadibi, their right back, who kind of battles out with Coleman, he had their second most assists, and Dinya, as you said, their left back had their most assists. So, definitely their win backs going forward provide a lot. 
but I'm quite excited for that season. Uh, I think the squad depth and Carlo Ancelotti's kind of playing style with his caliber, I think they can push quite well. I think I'm going to put, put them kind of in that ninth, tenth spot. Um, I don't think they have enough to edge out the likes of Leicester, perhaps Burnley just yet, or Wolverhampton. I think it might take a little bit longer for Carlo to kind of develop his style. Carlo. Get some cameras. Sorry. Hello. <laughs> You're on first name basis, are you? Good, good mate of yours. <laughs> okay, Carlo. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think, I think it'll take him a little while for the team to gel and build some chemistry. But the also question mark is he's done it, you know, with capable teams winning titles, winning Champions Leagues, but he hasn't really done this with a mid-table team. And it'll be interesting to see, is his play style more suited for more high-caliber teams that can actually kind of make the most of it? It'll be interesting to see as the season progresses whether or not he can kind of deal with the challenges of having a mid-table team. Right, right. Because, yeah, I mean, in many ways, it's a whole different challenge, isn't it? You've got different, different financial constraints, different, you know, um, you're operating within different boundaries in terms of the board and fans' expectations and everything. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think we're all in agreement. It seems like we're all pretty uh, optimistic about Everton's chances. I mean, they had a, a bad season, like we say, but it seems like all three of us are sort of quite confident that they can put that behind them and they can, they'll do quite well, do quite successfully this, this year. It's the uh, classic Everton trap, having hope for the next season, because they, they <laughs> seem to do that every season. Yeah, that's and true. somehow they disappoint yeah, them always, last season. Yeah, like genuinely, I was, I was thinking about it. Sorry to cut you off. I was just thinking about it. It feels like every single year they're in like a, a growing phase like it feels like every year they're like oh they're just turning a corner they're just yeah, about to break exactly. into top six or top four you know it's so and then true. every, it's and then every, every true. year they do like just good enough to like keep there but not good enough to break in so yeah i feel like they're always just knocking on the door i don't know if this will be the year they do break in but we'll see i think it'll be good either way um so next up we are going to talk about southampton led by ralph Husenhottle. Husenhottle. Hassenhutl. I think you butchered his name there. It's Hassenhutl. Yeah. I, I think to, it's yeah, it's like, Hassenhutl. That makes more sense because you've got the A and then the U. Yeah. yeah. Is he, where's he from? Is he, is he Norwegian? I, I believe he's German. Danish? He coached, he coached Leipzig. Um, yeah, that's right. Before. That's right. Oh, he's Austrian. It's close oh, enough to German. He's Austrian, is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's basically German. Well, not quite. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, anyway, Hassen. Hassenhudel uh, and Southampton again, a bit like Everton. Uh, rocky, rocky season, ups and downs. Let me see. They were in November. They were nineteenth. Obviously, we remember their historic nine uh, 0 loss to Leicester, smashing yes. records there in in all the wrong ways. Nineteenth uh, in November, they went as high as ninth in January. So two months later, they dropped down to fourteenth for the COVID break, and then a good run of form at the end. They finished eleventh. So some highs and some lows. Obviously, the lows. I mean, they lost nine 0 to uh, Leicester, which is, I mean, humiliating in all sorts of ways. Surprisingly, uh, the coach Hassan Hootel stayed with them. Uh, you would expect him to be sacked. I kind of thought he'd be sacked <laughs> Me too. Uh, the next mo- the next morning. But credit to Southampton, they stuck with him. They believed in his philosophy. They said, you know, it's just one game. Keep moving forward, and they did. But yeah, so they finished eleventh. Did did quite well for themselves in the end. What what did you guys make of their season? Yes, Southampton had a, a up and down season to be honest. As you mentioned, they had a nine 0 loss. They they only won two of their first ten games, which including that that embarrassing loss at St Mary's. But they turned it around and they they actually won thirteen of the final twenty eight games to finish eleventh, just two points behind Sheffield, who were praised so heavily this season, and only four behind uh, FA Cup winners Arsenal. I think it was a overall quite a successful season for Southampton. Bednarek was quite key in the back with most interceptions, most aerial duels won, and most clearances. Ward Prowse in the midfield played every single minute. And of course, Danny Ings, the main man up top, mm-hmm. 22 goals. I think overall, Southampton had a successful, successful season. And I'm also very surprised they kept Hassenhutl. I thought after a loss like that, it, he's gone. But you have to respect what the Southampton board has done there. They've kept him, they've trusted in his philosophies, and it, it paid out. Yeah, big time. Yeah, I think the uh, key point for them was after that nine little loss is changing keepers. Obviously, keeping the manager has paid out massively for them. And that in itself is, is quite surprising, especially when they finished 16th the season before with a, with a rough start and opening 10 games. It's quite a large chunk of the season. I think the owners were probably being quite rightfully worried. So sticking with the managers, you know, been proving the right call so far. But another key point is, is changing gun. Because in the opening 10 games, he conceded 25 goals. 
Aaron McCarthy comes in and then it concedes 35 in the remaining 28. So it's definitely been that's a key point for their success. Um, but yeah, quite a successful season for them on, on all fronts, really. Yeah, right. so I, yeah. I really enjoyed... Uh, sorry, James, cut you off again. i just going to say I really enjoyed watching Southampton play last year. I know several people did, uh, well, particularly the second half of the year, because they played really, I mean, at times attractive football, but really aggressive football was the biggest thing. And you love to see they played with pace. Um, so the turning point, I think, is quite easy to say would be the 9-0 loss. I think they really sort of came back from that. But interestingly, they changed their formation in November. So, so at the end of the November, they played Arsenal and they stopped sort of faffing around with the three at the back. And they, do, they did four at the back, 4-4-2, uh, went back to basics. And I'm not sure if it was a mentality switch or whatever it was, but from then on out, they became really aggressive in pressing, pressing high and pressing hard. And so from that point onwards, so from November onwards for the rest of the season, they actually led the league in pressure events. They had the highest percentage in the league of closing down opponent passes per game. And I had to look this up. This is actually quite a good, a good stat. They had the lowest pass per defensive action value. And so a defensive action value, essentially the, um, the stats guys use it to measure how intense a defending team is pr- pressing the ball. And a defensive action is like a tackle, a challenge, uh, a foul given away, interception, etc. Any anything you do to disrupt the attacking team's possession, and you you take that and you divide it by how many passes the attacking team are able to spring around, and then you you get given a value. And the lower the value, effectively, the more intense the defending team is pressing. And Southampton had the lowest value in in the league, so they were the most by that measure they were the most intense team in terms of pressing when they were in, in defense, which is really quite, really quite impressive. And going back to Danny Ings, obviously he led the line. He was a top scorer. He scored, was it 22 goals in the league, joint second with Aubameyang for Golden Boot, only one behind Vardy. So very nearly, you know, very nearly became the first Southampton player ever to get Golden Boot. He was almost got that. But what's most impressive is that he laid, led the team uh, in pressure events over 25, average of 25 per game. So, yeah, I mean, they, they pushed really, really high. Uh, I think they also, yeah, that's right. They, f- they were fifth in creating shots from, like, from pressuring the opposition. So like getting the ball in the final third and getting a shot from that, they were fifth uh, just outside the top four. Aggressive team, attacking team, fun to watch. I really enjoyed, enjoyed watching them last year. I think they can, can uh, continue that. They finished in good run of form towards the end. Yeah, we'll, we'll see that continue. Interesting. I actually, when you, inter- well, when you cut me off a bit, I was going to say exactly the same. No, it's fine. I was going to say the same thing. They, well, you said it about the formation change. And it's a formation that he used at Leipzig, which got them second in the Bundesliga. Uh, so, yeah, I was, I was going to say the same thing, actually, about the, the formation change after the Leicester loss. Yeah, and I think they stuck with that, didn't they, for most of the season, the 4-4-2. Mm-hmm. It's, more of a, it's more of a 4 triple 2 actually, because the, the two wider players are a bit higher than the holding mids. So it's less of a, f- a flat 4 it's more of a two holding mid, mid, two wide players or wingers, and then two strikers. The old four two two two. Yeah. Um, well, we've touched on that a little bit. Who, but who are some of their key players? Either you know holding on to them or new transfers coming in this year. Yeah, you touched on obviously Danny Ings. So we've talked about McCarthy replacing Gunn. I think they haven't really done too much in the transfer window so far. The big one for them is signing Carl Walker Peters again. They had him last season on loan from Spurs, and they've they've re-signed him, so that's quite big. Especially that they've lost Cedric out to Arsenal. I think he left in January, so he was there for half the season. They had Carl Walker Peters replace him. It's been quite good for them. They use Bertrand and Peters quite heavily, so having those two wingers, wing backs, uh, as kind of the modern wing backs are getting up. Most teams are relying on that a lot more now nowadays. Um, losing Hojberg is a big one for them, but again. They have Romeo, former Chelsea player, to step up in that in that role. Mm-hmm. And James mentioned James mentioned that Ward Prowse played every single minute in the Prem. So Hojberg and Romeo never actually really played together much. So the games that Romeo did play, he would be building chemistry with Ward Prowse. So that kind of bodes well for them, kind of having that replacement come through. I feel like Hojberg and Romeo have a different role though. Romeo is a bit more of a CDM defensive, but. Hoisberg is more of a box-to-box, so he's a bit more creative. And he actually had the, he had the most passes last year. So I feel like, although it's not a bad replacement, they do have different roles. So I think losing Hoisberg will, will um, affect them negatively. Yeah, I agree. I think 
they're not quite the same player, but it is it does also allow Ward Prowse to be a bit more box to box, kind of fill a little bit more of Hodgepodge's role, and Romeo can kind of fill in that defensive spot. And it does it does help that he's been on the team for a bit now and he's built that chemistry. Obviously, it's not a like for like swap, and I, I think it does weaken them that they have lost Hodgeberg, but it's not entirely that they're not filling it. Sure. Yeah. So, where do you guys see them finishing up? Mm, I, they have a good system and they have a good manager in Hassan Hutul, but I th- I think they're a bit too dependent on Danny Ings. He he was involved in 47% of the team's goals and he scored 43%, which is a lot. It's actually the highest in the Premier League above yeah, team above Pukki. So I think if if he can't find the form that he had this year, Southampton will struggle. And their their second top scorer had five goals last year, so there's a big gap. And I think Southampton right. will comfortably avoid relegation. But I think a, a lower lower finish for the Saints this time. I think losing Hodgeberg and I, I, don't, I can't see Danny Ings being on the same form he was this year. So I think they'll get 13. Yeah, I mean, just to iterate what you were saying, yeah, I'm looking at it now. Ings had 22 goals and Stuart Armstrong, who's second, he had five. So a big, a big drop off there in terms of production. What, what are you thinking, Dan? Same, same or for you? Or are they going to do better, similar. better, worse? So I think they'll be pretty much similar as to what they were this season. Losing a couple of their boys will hurt them a little bit. But I think their kind of their play style is built more up about the team. The manager's kind of settled in now, so I think they'll finish probably about twelfth as where I place them, just under mid table. Not quite as successful as this year, but not. I don't think they'll ever be in threat of relegation. I think they'll be quite comfortably kind of that middle of the park. Yeah, I actually have them at twelfth as well. I think they're going to be knocking on the door of top half of the table, similar to they were this year, but. I don't think they'd be quite... I think uh, Leeds and Everton will finish above them for the final... I think so. Yeah, Trusted. well... Fair. We, we covered Leeds yesterday. I, I think so. I think Leeds might get 11th. I mean, who, who knows? Who the hell knows, right? But I have a feeling that Southampton are going to finish again 11th, 12th. A very good season by their standards. I just... I don't know. I, w- I wouldn't say they're stuck, but I don't see them being in a relegation fight. They're just... They, they, they're too comfortable. They're too, they're too much in a good place and the quality they have. But I also don't, they don't have the quality yet or as of now to be pushing for a top seven. They're sort yeah, of in I that know, like... I know, I know what you mean about they're kind of stuck. They're, they've got really nowhere to go. They don't have the quality, like you said, to push for Europa League. But they're not bad enough to get relegated. So they're kind of in yeah, that it's, it's weird, weird like spot. An Everton or someone, isn't it? Sure, sure. But it should, should be a good year. I disagree, though. I think Danny Ings will have another good season. I think he'll do, do quite you? well for himself. Yeah, I mean, he, may not be, he might not be in the race for Golden Boot. But I think that he'll be have a productive season. Yeah, I, I think personally well. he's an, he's another one of the the Michus and the Denver Bars. Although he did have a better season than those guys did, I just feel like if you look at his goal production in his career, it's this season and anonymously, anonymously, how you say it. Yeah, I mean, um, I was actually watching yeah. this morning. I was watching a, a five minute compilation of all his Premier League goals this year, which is quite fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And yeah, quite quite a lot of them are like tap ins or. Quite a bit lucky. I think the first, yeah, his first two goals of the season are both like the goalkeeper, like just passed it to him. I think Adrian was one, and then Loris in the next game just like gave it to him. So, yeah, got some easy tap-ins there. But he he is a quality striker. He's class. I think he'll do quite well. Okay, let's talk about uh, Newcastle next. Steve Bruce, man at the helm. Quite a dramatic season for them over the well, the past few seasons have been quite dramatic. A lot of uh, off-field drama, particularly with the ownership. Sort of, uh, you know, I mean, drama is the best word for it, isn't it? Mike Ashley's been in charge for quite, you know, been the owner for quite some time. Seriously unpopular. My my manager at work is a lifelong Geordie, and he uh, despises Mike Ashley. I think he speaks for a lot of a lot of Newcastle fans. I think just not a very popular man up in the north. Uh, lots of talk last summer and this summer about selling to maybe, um, you know, Saudi the Saudi government essentially uh that got axed by the premier league obviously so a lot of backroom drama in terms of finances and buying players and ownership debates in terms of the on-field stuff james last year what how did it play out last year what, what did we see so newcastle finished 13th around the mid-table spot you know, they got 42 points which is the same point tally as two years ago under benitez although that season they got 10th so similar uh, point point wise but different ranking um, they were just above Palace, but they, the, real, the real issue of them was they struggled going forward. They had the fourth least goals scored in the Premier League, and their top scorer was a midfielder with just six goals. Considering they had just spent 
40 million or there around on a striker to have your top scorer be a midfielder it's, it's very poor Newcastle pretty inconsistent they struggled against teams at the bottom of the table but they actually looked uh, pretty good going towards the end they had 42 points after 32 games so it looked like they could get top 10 perhaps or even higher but with 18 points available they only took two points out of those games so it's a disappointing end to the season and the Magpies and the fans will be very disappointed with how they ended. But I think overall, it was just a mediocre season for Newcastle. Yeah, I think mediocre is a good word to describe it. I mean, you kind of said it inconsistent all around, up and down for them, really. I think they'd probably hope for better. I don't know if the fans would have much more expectation to go into the season than really 13th. I think it's, it's kind of where they would have expected, potentially. And Ben's touching it with a lot of the financial um, kind of backroom drama. That's, I think, been the main focus for Newcastle recently in the, in the recent years. Ever since they put them on sale in 2017, it's been the main focus of trying to get the, the owner out. Mm. You say apparently the Newcastle fans were really didn't want Steve Bruce in because if you remember, Steve Bruce was manager of Sunderland a while ago. That's right. Um, and so they were really not wanting him in, in the helm. But the, the squad was behind him. Once he was announced, they said they were behind him. But yeah, it was interesting how the fans were immediately against him. Yeah, I was just going to say the ownership stuff is still, there's still sort of uh, yeah, drama around that. I mean, I think it's been quite clear that the, what's it called, the PIF, the private, not private, something investment fund. The, uh, the Sa- Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund, I think. Yeah, something think of that nature. Yeah, so that, I think the, the Premier League sort of put a stop to that. But I've, I've been seeing reports about an American investor potentially looking at it. So, I mean, because Mike Ashley's been quite public about his desire to sell, I think until they do sell, you're going to have keep swirling, you know, stories and it can be quite serious. It could be just be tabloid rumor, who knows? But a lot of that, it, it does detract a little bit from, from the mission of like what they're trying to do, you know, in terms of like transfers and buying players. It's like, well, we don't really know what the philosophy of the owner is because we're not too sure who the owner might be. And so that doesn't help the on-field stuff. Uh, looking at last year, some of the lows, they lost 5-0 to Leicester which that was towards the, the first half of the season. That was definitely a low, not, not what you want to do. Um, although, interestingly enough, they did uh, turn around quite well from that. They won three of the next five following that loss. One of those three games they won was against Man United, annoyingly. Uh, they beat us, two, beat us 2-1. Um, but yeah, like you say, not, not a great season. Looking, looking ahead to, to this year and the transfer window, what, what do you guys make of the transfer window? They don't usually spend big. Uh, they bought quite a few players this summer. Well, summer, this autumn. Uh, what, what are you guys yeah. thinking about that? Yeah. Um, with, I think Mike Ash has probably been quite reserved in recent years to, to spend money because he's not sure if he's going to stay owning. So he's probably not too keen to be investing into a club that he won't be reaping the rewards. In fairness, though, he has spent a little bit of money. He spent $20 million on Callum Wilson. And he's also brought Ryan Fraser on a free, both from Bournemouth. And I think that's quite key for them. And, and James touched on it that last season they really struggled up front. And Joe Ellington, who was a striker, he only scored one goal. Being your striker for the season, one goal is just nothing. I mean, come on, you have to do better than that. So bring in Cal- Callum Wilson. It's good intention. Um, he had a great season last year with Bournemouth. I forget how many goals well, he had. They also had Andy Carroll. Um, sorry to interrupt you, just adding on to that. They also brought in Andy Carroll, who, I mean, he picked up a knee injury, but he only scored four goals in the time that he played. So not. Not great production from him either. Yeah, I think you kind of have to let Andy Carroll off the book because I think they brought him back from... I can't remember where they brought him back from, but he clearly wasn't really match fit and he spent quite a while just trying to get up to match fitness. Um, so he was he was clearly there to lighten the load of Jolington and that's because Jolington did so poorly. And in fairness, Andy Carroll outscored him while he was there. So I think I think the right move was bringing Callum Wilson and that is a good partnership with Ryan Fraser because they actually have the record for the most league goals in the combination with 12 in uh, two seasons ago, 18-19. So those two players definitely have a good chemistry. So I'd expect that both of them to be on the starting lineup. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, Wilson scored eight goals last year. I think you're thinking of two years ago when he got 13 or 14. Oh, right, yeah. He's, st- he's still proven he can score goals in the Premier League, which is more than any other Newcastle striker can do at the moment. So I think they also got uh, Jamal Lewis from Norwich, who's a promising young fullback, left back. Which is good as a as they lost Danny Rose back on back to Spurs and Willems the other left back left, so it's a good pickup for Newcastle. Yeah, they're rumored to uh, sign Rob Holding from Arsenal for a loan, 
So if that goes through, that'd be quite big for them, for their centre-back to, to partner up with Lascelles or Fernandes. That would be a quite good signing, I reckon. Yeah, that would be a big one. Bring a bit, bring a bit of experience um, for They've also team. brought on uh, Jamal Lewis from Norwich, which I, I think is going to be a good signing. Yeah, I just said that, but yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I... That's fine. Tim's, fine. Tim's uh, bought in a kettle, so I got a little bit distracted by that. But uh, that's, yeah, they, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. surprisingly, they have put on some brought on some new guys. The highlight of last year probably been Saint Maximan. He's quite a creative player, a lot of flair. Um, having him stay on the squad and kind of provide that attacking outlet will be quite good for them, especially with the Camels and now having Saint Maximan behind him. That kind of bodes well for them going into the season and will give the fans a little bit of hope going forward. I think a key player for them is their keeper Dubravka. Who I was just going to say that. Yeah. He had the most saves in the Premier League last year, which it could be a result as Newcastle's defence was not very good last year, but there's still an impressive amount to get to get the most saves in the Premier League with all the other quality keepers there are. And he is injured until October, so that'll be interesting to see how they start the season without him. They're starting keeper in goal for the first month or so. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's a good point. I think I agree with you. I think he's their best player. And the most saves thing is a little bit, it's hard to say because part of that is just they have a terrible defense. And so he's getting a lot of, he's getting hit by a lot of shots. You know, Allison and Edison are never going to have the most saves because they have such great defenses. However, a similar statistic that I think is more accurate and more useful is looking at how many goals they've prevented. And so you look at, to do that, you just take the goals that they've conceded versus the expected goals conceded, which takes into effect um, how many shots are being shot at them, the value of those type of shots, how, how good shots the defense are giving up. So worse defense are going to give up high value shots to the opponents and so forth. So you can take that into the expected goals to concede. And Dubrovka, he's second on that list, actually, after Gaeta from Palace. Dubrovka, yeah, he's second. Last year, he had uh, 8.7 goals prevented. Which is, which is really good. Um, for comparison, some other top keepers in the league, Edison for City had 0.6. Surprisingly, um, well, Kepa was the bottom, obviously, negative 6.6. <laughs> but uh, Allison for Liverpool, everyone raves about Allison. He had negative one goals prevented. So I think that's a more meaningful statistic. And, and Dubrovka, again, sits on top of the pile at that. So he, he really is cl- a class keeper. He's probably one of the best keepers in the league, I would suggest. And I agree. probably had he's probably their best player as well at the same time. So holding on to him and, and he'll be crucial, I think, in this coming up season. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Where, what are your thoughts on where they'll finish this year? I think I have them just above relegation. Um, I think they have enough players to keep them alive. I think they will be kind of scrapping it out. I don't think they're going to do... Well, they didn't do that well this season, but the 13th is kind of a respectable position. I think they're going to do a little bit worse. Um, even even with Callum Wilson coming in, and that is an improvement their attack. I just don't think they have it in them to to really improve on, on what they've built. They will be finishing kind of the fifteenth, fourteenth spot. For me, they're my third third team to be relegated. I think they're going to go down, which is a shame. But I don't think it's not really because they're bad. It's just it's more a case of the Premier League mm-hmm. is so competitive. There's it's probably one of the best competitive, most competitive leagues in the world. I would suggest it certainly seems that way, and there's just so many teams who are going to be fighting for that 16th spot, that 17th spot. You know, the, those bottom rungs on the ladder, uh, you have, I mean, you have several teams. You've got probably West Ham, probably Villa, maybe Brighton, Crystal Palace. They're all going to be a Newcastle. You know, they're all going to be West Brom fighting for those final spots. And I, I don't, I'm not convinced Newcastle have enough in the tank. To, to get over the line. I think they might just end up being bottom of the pile fr- from that group of teams. So I have them finishing sir, 18th, getting relegated. I think they'll join Fulham and West Brom in the championship next year. But time will tell. They've got lots of new signings. So See, This is funny because I, I put them 12th. I don't think... Oh my God. <laughs> no, so I, what I'm con- interested by is you've put Villa 17th. So what do Villa have that Newcastle don't have? Essentially, why why Villa finishing above Newcastle? Uh, in a word, they have Jack Grealish, but but one one player can't get you above above the line. No, no, you're right. I mean, it, it's really a case of one of the teams has to go down. I don't know necessarily that Newcastle or rather Villa are any better than Newcastle, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't think that Newcastle are strong enough. I'm not impressed by their goal production. I'm not impressed by their creativity. That they their production in the final third. Their defense is 
has holes in it. They're vulnerable. They have a good keeper, but that's not enough. And yeah, I mean, it, it's a coin flip almost between those teams. You probably could put West Brom's in there as well, but I, I think that I have to choose one of them, and I'm choosing Newcastle to go down. See, Why? I'm I'm interested. Why are you putting them twelfth? That, that's look, pretty the high. Reason, the reason I put them twelfth is because you're saying all these these things. Oh, they don't have a great defense. They don't. They can't score goals. Yet they still managed to finish thirteenth this year, and they've added a goal scorer in, in their in their attack. And they've got Frazier from Bournemouth. They've got a new left back. So I don't see how they'll be as low to re- get relegated. Twelfth. I put them twelfth. That may be a bit high. I think Dan's spot is could be a bit more realistic. But I can't see them going down five positions with think, their new additions. I think they'll be lower down because they aren't really improving and the teams, the other teams are. We look at Southampton improving. We've touched on Everton definitely improving. Um, we're going to talk about Palace. Um, they've got the new guys, Leeds. They look very good. I think teams around them are definitely showing signs of improving at Castle. Kind of, I don't know. They're, they're, I don't a bit, know. they're a bit stagnant at the minute, it looks like. I feel like they've done more in the... Well, like they've, West they've, got, they've got some good signings. West Ham haven't signed anyone. Villa have signed. They've got Ollie Watkins, to be fair. But I feel like they've done more business than uh, Fulham, West Ham, and perhaps Villa as well. So I don't know. I feel like they'll... Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good counterpoint. You're making a good case, James. I, I don't know. We'll see. I, I, think releg- I think relegate is a bit harsh, but it's your opinion. It's your opinion. I disagree, but it's okay. Yeah. Well, we'll have... Um, at the end of these four podcasts, we'll post on Instagram... Our final, our final predicted table for all three of us. So we'll, we'll put that on there in writing and, and we'll see sort of the end of the season how, how we fare. Okay, so uh, moving on to Crystal Palace. Uh, Dan, you want to take us through what happened last year? How did their season unfold? Crystal Palace, um, they definitely had an up and down season. They finished 14th in the league, 43 points, uh, plus two from the 15th. So it's a respectable season for them. It's the eighth consecutive season now in the Premier League, so they are kind of becoming that staple in the league now. We kind of recognise that. A couple of the highlights, um, I think you were at the actual match, was their away win against Manchester United. Oh, my 2-1, God. And I'm sure you'll have things to say about that. Uh, they also managed to get a draw against Manchester City, 2-2. So those are probably the, the kind of the big highlights for them this season. I was at that game at Old Trafford. Sorry to interrupt you, but I was at the game, and, and the really annoying thing was I brought, I brought Gary with me, obviously our cousin Gary, and it was his birthday. And so I've got a friend of mine who has great season tickets right by the home dugout, right in the halfway line, brilliant spot. And so I was able to score like tickets, both of them together for, for Gary's birthday. And we went up there and it made a whole day of it. It was so fun. And Palace scored really early on. And so we're 1-0 down and we're like 1-0 down the entire game. And it's like one of those really frustrating games. And I was so annoyed, but like you, you're behind your team. And then Daniel James scored equalized in the 88th minute. And the entire Stratford on their feet. Everyone's on their feet. We're, we're, we're going to get the win. You can feel the energy in the crowd. And then I think it was like 93rd or 94th minute or whatever. They get a counterattack. All our guys are forward to try and score the winner. And they go back and they, they put it right past. Really soft goal as well. Put it past De Gea. And I think it, I was reading afterwards. I think it was the first, um, the first like 90th minute winner. An opposing team has scored at Old Trafford in the Premier League ever. So that was wow. pretty... That's a, that's a crazy pretty, start. Pretty bloody annoying. Yeah. So that was a long... A long drive also, back. That was also Palace's only uh, away win against Manchester United. Yeah, I believe that as well. Yeah, it'd be a good win for them, definitely. I think because we'd just beaten Chelsea four 0 at the time, like a week before or something weeks before. So it was yeah, good win for them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, just continuing on with their last season, really. Um, they had a, a good build up uh, right before lockdown. They were setting at eleventh, which definitely would have pleased a lot of their fans. And they were only, they were only four points behind sixth. So within those five, six spots, there was only four-point difference. So I think just before lockdown, Palace fans would have had a lot of kind of cautiously optimistic to maybe try and sneak into the back end of the Europa League spots. Unfortunately for them, when they came back out of their nine games, they lost seven, only won one. So they, they really didn't quite make the most of it. They had five games against the top, uh, the top eight. So they definitely had opportunity to kind of leapfrog those, those spots, but they didn't really uh, capitalize on it. But overall, I think they'll be quite happy. They ended up dropping down to 14th because of that, but it's quite a respectable spot for them. They were kind of eyeing their record points. Their, their record in the Premier League is 49. They ended with 43. But definitely if they'd been a bit more clinical in those final games and, and after the COVID break, they could have had a record season, really. Yeah, I mean, like you say, they had a few a few good spots, well, several good, good points in the season. The what, 2-1 win to United that we talked about 
They also drew 2-2 away at City. I don't know if you mentioned, I can't remember if you mentioned that or not, but that was that's a pretty good point to pick up at the Etihad. Uh, yeah, like you say, they didn't get very far in the cup competitions either. I think they got knocked out in the first round, I think, in both the Carabao and the FA Cup, if I remember correctly. Oh, no, sorry, with the FA Cup, was it the quarters they got to? Can't quite remember. I'm not sure, I'm not sure to be honest. Um, I don't remember the quarterfinals for them. Yeah, but, I mean, James, what did you make of their season and looking at some of their big players? Dan touched on it with their inconsistency, especially towards the end. They they were really disappointed. But I think Ayu, Jordan Ayu was their key player. He he scored eight goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. He scored eight, eight. Ayu scored eight goals, with five of them being game winners and three being equalizers. So he's clearly a, a clutch player, which is needed for a club like Palace. Um, but they scored the second least goals in the league of thirty-one, and they also yeah. lacked depth. They only had twenty-one first-team players at, at the season. So. It, and sorry, the only team to score lower goals than them was Norwich. Yeah, Norwich. Finished yeah. Dead last, obviously. So that's not a very uh, not no, good you're company. Right. Yeah, I was seeing that Jordan Ayew. He had he scored or assisted thirty five percent of their goals last year. So big, big production from him. He was their player of the year uh, as well, of course. But yeah, sorry. Go back back to what you were saying. No, I was just touching on yeah Ayew's importance to the team and how Zaha underperformed underperformed perhaps because of all the transfer rumors that. They seem to be circulating around him every transfer. I always hear Zaha to the team, Zaha to that team, but it never happens. It might happen this year, probably won't. Um, but It, look, it yeah, looks I like think... they've kept him on. There's been rumours yeah. to him going to Arsenal or Everton, but it looks like they've got him secured in for this coming season. So that would be quite good if they can do that. You touched on it. You said they had the second fewest goals in the league last year they scored, which, I mean, historically... Scoring goals has always been a problem for, for Palace. They're not usually a high-scoring, high high-attacking team. They also have the oldest squad in the Premier League. Their average age is almost 30 years old, which is not, not very good. They're definitely going to want to bring in some youth, bring in some young blood. Um, they have signed 20-year-old Tyrick Mitchell, his left-back. So I'm, I'm quite excited for that. And they brought on a couple, couple of the young academy guys as well coming through the, up through the academy. So I think that'll be good to bring in some youth. But definitely things to improve upon, some different holes to fill. Yeah, they also signed... Uh, Dan, go ahead. No, I'm just going to say, touching on their key players, Gary Cahill's one of them as well. He was kind of crucial in the last season. He signed signed from Chelsea, bringing a lot of experience um, in that back line, which was a big big reason for them staying up. They had quite a lot of 1-0 wins, and he was definitely instrumental for that. Unfortunately, he picked up a hamstring injury towards the end of last season, so he'll be out for quite a majority of going into the season which could cause him to struggle also at left back Van Annel, um key player going forward as well as, as a lot of the fullbacks are nowadays but really important to their squad you've touched on Zaha as well yeah I think another signing you... that's yeah I was going to touch on another signing you mentioned Mitchell they also got Easy I think it's how you say his name from QPR who's 22 years old 10, 22 years old sorry uh, he's attacking midfielder he got 14 goals and 8 assists last year for Queen's Park Rangers. So another a decent young pickup. James, what is a successful season look like for Palace this coming year? A successful season for them is, I guess, around the same finish. 12th, maybe. I think they want to push up the table. They got 14 this year, didn't they? They're a bit like Southampton, to be honest. Looking at the seven previous seasons, they finished 11th, 10th, 15th, 14th, 11th, 12th, 14th. So it's quite, it's just yeah, kind mid- of mid-table. Definitely mid-table, yeah. There's not much to go from here, to be honest. I think just finish around the same will be a successful season for Palace. I, I don't know if they'll get as high as 12th. I have them 14th, 15th, uh, I think. I mean, if things go bad, I think they might find themselves uh, a bit closer to relegation than they want. They might even be battling with that a little bit. Uh, but that's if things go bad. I think that they'll probably be comfortably safe of relegation up in the 14th, 15th spot, but not, not really pushing the top half of the table. I think... They, I think they'll do worse than what they've done this year. I think they will be kind of in that relegation scrap. I do have them surviving. I put them 17th, maybe 16th, kind of around West Ham. Um, Royal Hodgson, the reason I have them staying up Roy. actually is because because of Roy. Yeah, Roy, good old Roy. Roy, Roy Hodgson. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's right. you, have, you have to love him. You, you really do. No, you don't. You don't have to love him. England, England classic. Oh, Roy Hodgson. No, the reason yeah. I have them staying up is because of his experience with relegation teams. He has got quite a bit of experience. That's right, yeah. He's, he's been there before, yeah. He's been there before, and I think that'll be quite an invaluable experience when they inevitably, I think it will be inevitable for them that they'll be in that scrap. 
but I think they'll stay up because of him. So it sounds like we all have them escaping relegation just to varying degrees. Yeah, I put them at the same spot as Dan, 17th. But I think they'll stay up due to the experience. You're having the oldest, uh, oldest average, sorry, the oldest squad on average do have the experience. Um, that's, I think that's key in this season. I think that's why they will stay up. But I don't think it'll be a pretty season for Crystal Palace. Okay, so moving on to Brighton, the last team on our little, uh, little part two part two episode here, led by Graham Potter, the, the young manager. Third season in the Premier League last year, they finished 15th, which was up from 17th the prior season. So doing quite well for themselves, got 41 points, which is definitely respectable. Uh, 15th is a good spot. Still looking to establish themselves in the Premier League. As we say, you know, it was their third season, trying to become a bit more of the, a bit more of the woodwork, get themselves sorted out. Had a pretty good season by their standards. They did the double over Arsenal and Tottenham, which was quite surprising. I had forgotten about that. I remember they beat Arsenal home and away. I must admit, I did forget they beat Tottenham home and away as well. So that was quite good. They also drew to Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. So definitely some big results for them across the course of the, the year. What did you guys uh, think of Brighton last year when you were watching them? Yeah, I thought they were decent. I don't think they did the double over Spurs, did they? I know they beat them 3-0, but I thought they lost the second game. Um, no, you're right, James. Yeah, I've just checked it. You're right. Yeah, Spurs beat them 2-1. Because that's in the documentary. I remember Spurs beating, like, they talked about how Brighton beat them the first time, and then it showed Spurs coming back from 1-0 down to 2-1. Yeah, good catch. Thanks for that. Yeah, uh, back to, yeah, the season. So I think we'll go going into this season, the Brighton fans were a bit confused as to why Chris Hewton got the sack after he had uh, got them promoted and then had two seasons of staying up in the Premier League. But the the Brighton, the, the board, as I've understood, they got rid of Chris Hewton because he played quite defensive and they wanted to go into a more offensive style of Graham Potter. And it's, it's worked that way. They've got their, their record amount of points in the season of 41, 15th place. Uh, they did pretty well for the restart to secure themselves from safety and not getting relegated. But yeah, I think they, they were pretty consistent with being 15th. They actually had spent 17 game weeks at 15th spot including seven, uh, 13 in a row towards the end of the season. So they were pretty consistent as a 15th spot team. Yeah, no. I mean, you, you're right about Chris Hutton. I mean, they did also finish 17th last year. Uh, sorry, the year before last, the, his last year in charge. And I think it came down to the last game week of, of, for their survival. So they, just, they stayed alive, but just barely. And I mean, as you say, I think the board probably felt like he was a bit out of his depth. And he did very well to lead them to the Premier League, but... You know, maybe it was time for someone new. I mean, what what were you thinking of this season, Dan? And also looking at their players. You know, any players jump out to you? Key players? What? Yeah, James touched on their season already, so I think we'll go straight to the players. Really, Dunk obviously stood out massively. Um, key key player for them in the back. They play a five in the back or three in the back. However you look at it, three centre backs, and he's that middle one, the captain, one of one of the best centre backs in the Premier League last season. So he's definitely their standout player. Obviously, they've got Ryan as well in goal. Had a phenomenal season with Brighton as well. So definitely, even though they've changed to a more offensive uh, philosophy with Graham Potter, they definitely had standout defensive players in keeper and centre-back. Um, up top as well, I think it's Mopai. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm not sure I'd pronounce his name. But he had a great season as well, scoring 10 league goals, which is quite respectful for a 15th place team. So definitely those kind of three operating in the middle of the park. It's the spine of the team. Uh, the key ones for me. Yeah, I think Lewis Dunk, probably their player of the year. I have Matt Ryan as my keeper on fantasy. I think he's a good pickup. He's, I mean, me he's a good keeper. Yeah, he's a good keeper in real life. He's also a good keeper in fantasy. I think he'll get a high save percentage. And they also have a pretty good defense. Um, I mean, for, for where they are on the table, Brighton. So good good little pickup there. I think they've they've done a few good transfer uh, transfer maneuvers this off-season, uh, Adam Lallana coming on a free from Liverpool, I think, is a really good, really good bit uh, t- of tidy business there, picking him in. He, I think he's going to play really well in that 10 spot, sort of behind Morpé and Connolly, playing on top of the double pivot of Proper and Stevens in the centre of the park. I think, I, I rate him. I mean, obviously, he hasn't really panned out so much Liverpool uh, recently with Klopp. I mean, it's just there's just better players in his position there. But for Brighton, I think he'll do really quite well and should help their productivity. They've also picked up Joel Vent- Veltman from Ajax. He's a three-time Everydice winner. So that, that's quite good. 
good signing for them. Uh, any other transfers for you guys jump out that you think are quite be quite good for them for Brighton? Mm-hmm. Well, you touched on Lalana, who, yeah, you said at Liverpool wasn't the greatest, but I mean, he did. There was a lot of competition in the spot. But if you remember remember him back at Southampton in those days, he was a really good player with um, Ricky yeah, Lambert. He's got, he's, and all he's got quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's a good. People forget how good I think he actually is, but I think at Brighton he'll show it. And you mentioned Veltman, who was on was on the Ajax team that did uh, really well in the Champions League two seasons mm-hmm. ago. They've also got Ben White from Leeds, who's returning from loan, who had a really good season in the Championship. That's right. Yeah. And they've signed a young Belgium from Club Bruges called Den Donker, but not sure how good he is. But yeah, just a, a few decent signings from Brighton. I like what I've seen. Where, where do you guys have them finishing out this year? I think they'll, they'll build on what they've done last season. I like Graham Potter's style, the attacking play. I'm really quite impressed with the back line. They've got such a plethora of centre-backs, and we talked about Dunk, but not only him, they've got Webster, they've got Byrne, Duffy, they've got Ben White coming back, who's had a fantastic season at Leeds. I mean, some people are expecting him to kind of come into the starting lineup, but there's so much competition there with five really quality centre-backs, and lots of them are linked to other clubs. You've got Dunk linked to Chelsea, and Webster's been linked away. So clearly other teams are trying to poach their centre-backs, which is unusual. But I do, I do think they'll build off of that. I think, for me, probably around 13th spot is where I see them. Yeah, I, think I, actually, all... think, I think actually one of their defenders has been poached, or sort of. I think Duffy's gone on loan to Celtic for the season. I don't think he'll, he won't be with them uh-huh. this yeah. season, I believe. But, I mean, he's, not, he's still at the club, but he just won't be here for the year. But I agree with Dan. They've got solid defence. I really like Matt Ryan in the goal. And I think I put them a bit higher. I actually put them 11th, which oh, really? may, wow. come, may come quite high. But I really like Graham Potter's style of football. I think it suits the Premier League. And I think it suits the players that they have with Alana, with Mopai, with their proper uh, Trossard, Stevens, all those players. I really like what Brighton have got there. And I think with the, the experience and the youth and the pace and the energy in their team, I think they'll be a really potent team and a really... Surprise team. They're probably my surprise team for the year in 11th place. I have them a little bit lower than that. I have them around 14th, 15th. So I think they'll be competing uh, with Palace for that sort of um, just above relegation sort of 14th, 15th spot. They've improved from last year. Lalania, like we said, will be a great signing for them. But I just don't, I don't see them improving enough to, to really sort of make a, the next step up. I think they'll be hanging around 14th, 15th. But I, I, I like them a lot. They're fun to watch and I'm looking forward to watching them. Uh, they've got a young team and yeah, it'll be, it'll be good to see them play this coming season. So a lot, lot of good things. I also have Stevens as well on my fantasy team. Not to keep banging on about it, but... I actually, um, I had too many Brighton players on my team, so I had to get rid of one. Oh, really? Who, who did you have? <laughs> I had... Um, well, it wasn't... The other guy was like a, the cheapest one. It was Bernardo, but he, he plays. So I picked him, but he was like a, the lowest value because I didn't have money left. Cool. Well, I think uh, that covers, covers Brighton uh, and all the other teams that we've covered. And I think that's it. We'll be back very soon with our predictions for the top 10 top half of the table that'd be a lot of fun to dig into and and unpack and of course you'll be hearing from us soon as we look ahead to the first weekend of Premier League football coming up on Saturday cannot wait for that Uh, thanks guys always a pleasure yeah thank you thank you very much Meza cheers guys cheers